On today's episode of the Sixers Beat, we will talk about the Brett Brown and Joshua Harris press conference, which mainly deals with the GM search, the failed pursuit of LeBron James and Paul George, and how that might tie into the Kawhi Leonard situation. We'll also get into a little bit of Mark L. Fultz talk and also talk about the ongoing summer league action, but only a little bit because it has been absolutely dreadful. All right, thanks for listening and on to the show. everybody. This is Derek Bodner, joined here in person by Rich Hoffman in the sunny and hot, especially hot, Las Vegas Strip recording here from the Luxor Casino. How you doing, Rich? I'm good, man. We're uh, looking out at the Las Vegas Strip right now. Seen a lot of subpar basketball this week, but it's uh, it's been an experience for sure. That is very kind of you. It has been god-awful basketball. We're not going to lead off the podcast with with that, though. Get something a a little more interesting out of the way, because this team has not been interesting. Um, Summer League's tough. It's even teams that might look decently constructed. It's tough because you have, like, you know, a week of practice leading up to it. A lot of the players will then be, you know, sometimes you'll get some late additions. Uh, Jonah Bolden, I know, is a late addition. Um, Askia Booker was a late addition. That's right. Somebody else. There's there's one other that was uh, a late addition. Furkan. Furkan, because he was he was over there playing overseas. So a lot of guys who didn't practice with the team then jump in in a starting role here with the Sixers. And much of what they worked on isn't necessarily going to translate over. I think what it boils down to are teams that can create shots one on one and teams that can hit from the perimeter end up looking the best because doing any kind of complicated motion offense isn't really going to translate. And the Sixers right now have nobody who can hit a shot and nobody who can break their man off the dribble. So it's been really, really fucking ugly. But here we yeah. are. I mean, we we were talking to, to Kevin Young the other day, the, the coach, and I, I told him, I said, I've been impressed by some of the plays you've drawn up. You guys just just can't really hit, hit a shot. It's, uh, you know, and, and we, we shouldn't talk too long about the basketball because – Summer League is interesting, man. There there are so many people here. It's like the whole basketball world. I would so, you know, again, we just spent 2 minutes ripping the basketball to shreds, but just walking the corridor of Thomas and Mack Center on Saturday, it was crazy from, you know, media members to current players to college coaches. Is that Sam Hinkie right there? Yes, it is. NBA coaches, front office executives, everybody is here for a few days and uh, willing to willing to chat, you know, in general. And I, I know a lot of people come out here to network and try and land jobs with teams. Good luck to all those people. But it is, it's it's interesting. It's uh, <laughs> there's a lot of stuff going on outside of the games. Yeah, there is. I mean, you you look over and there's Mike D'Antoni, and then you look over yeah. and, and there's Woj sitting there talking to Adam Silver, and it's just totally. It it really is a who's who. It's probably the best of the year. Um, it's it's yeah, it it certainly trumps Sloan. Sloan is a, a different crowd, a good crowd, but this is this is the best of the season. It is why ultimately people come out here uh, not to put up with the slot basketball. We're lucky in that we have a little bit of latitude because if we had to sit there and analyze every, you know, it's weird when I'm. Sitting at home, I watch far more summer league basketball than when I'm here because you're not distracted by talking to people and meeting people. Being at summer league as a media member, it's this kind of game of talking to people you want to talk to and avoiding the people you don't want to talk to because they're both here and they're both they're both here in droves. So however effective you can be at that is really how effective your summer league is going to be. I think we've had a pretty good summer league so far in that regard. Um, certainly the, the Sixers on the court have not. I think I looked up at one point and the starting lineup was one for 20 from the field. The other day, we had the Korkmaz explosion. I think he's, what, 0 for 11 from 3 since then. Ever since that point, which we weren't here yet for, ever since that point, it has been dreadful. There we go. There's four minutes on Summer League Basketball. If we have some time at the end, we will loop back into it. But that is not the main purpose of the podcast. We had a little bit of a surprise. Joshua Harris flew out here 
which that in of itself isn't much of a surprise. You know, I think I've heard that Harris comes out here at various other years and certainly with a an open GM position, this is a great place to talk to people. So the fact that Harris was here wasn't very newsworthy. The fact that Harris was giving his second news conference in a month, that was newsworthy. This is a guy who does not like talking, at least not like talking to the press and in front of a camera. And for him to come out here and have a, you know, we basically found out about 24 hours before it happened, maybe a little less, that Harris and Brown were going to give a press conference. And it would be open to a select few people that were here in the, uh, here at Vegas, uh, ourselves and a couple other national people, uh, and Keith Pompey and Jessica Camerato. And I think we all kind of got speculating there for a hot minute. You know, I think we all went, asked people who we thought might know or might have an inkling of what was going to happen. And it just, it seemed odd to me that, like I said, Harris would give a second talk in a month when there's no real update. But turns out that's what happened. Yeah, we thought they were going to announce whoever the GM was going to be and probably... You know, we started speculating that it was going to be an internal hire, which, you know, still could be the case. But, yeah, he didn't really have anything to say, which is – and, by the way, that's cool. I mean, I, I liked getting to talk to him and Brett for, uh, you know, a second time. That that was probably the most comfortable we've seen Josh Harris, probably because there was no, you know, TV camera. There was only, like, eight people in the room. We were kind of in, like, this dungeon in the bottom of Thomas and Mac Center, which was, like – I guess the best way I could describe it, it was almost like a poker table where, you know, sitting around smoking cigars, playing a game of poker, maybe drinking drinking some whiskey. That's what this felt like. That's what this environment was like. Minus the whiskey, minus the cigars, minus the, 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 the poker cards and the poker chips, which may, it, maybe it could have been it, PR staff. Maybe try that next time. But it was that kind of environment where downstairs in almost like a basement type room. And it did seem like he was a little more open because of that. Yeah, it was interesting. No cameras. Dimly lit, there were uh, posters from concerts that were pretty much all 20 years ago. There was this random poster of a head up in the, the ceiling boards. It was really weird. Yeah, and uh, it was cool. I, I think I guess that's what it must have been like in the uh, in the late 80s when uh, when there were no cameras and you know you got to you got to talk to the people and and that it first came out when when you wrote something. Uh, so that was cool, but yeah, there was no, there was no update, which I guess was the news. And I think, you know, they, they just let it open for questions. And my second question was, so what's up with the GM search and nothing really. Yeah. We're, uh, we're going to start now is basically what they said. We're working on it. <laughs> Let's get it going. Uh, which I know a lot of people are going to kill them for how long it's taking. That's probably not what I'm going to do because once you got past the draft, once you got past free agency, there's no real urgency now. Well, unless there's a trade on the table, uh, it makes sense now to take your time and get the right guy. And thought, that, they, hand, thought they handled the draft well. Yeah, yeah. they did. And that, part of the reason why I, I'm, I'm not too urgent is because I do think this Kawhi situation is going to drag out a little bit longer. I don't see that being resolved here in the next few weeks. I could be wrong, but that's my read of the situation. But if that's the case, the biggest concern then becomes for a new guy to come in and have to evaluate what he has and what he needs and make a decision on Kawhi. That's going to be tough in a shortened time frame. I think we saw that with Colangelo, you know, with the Nerlens and Okafor and that kind of situation. So... There's a little concern, but I do think they should take the time, talk to as many people as they can, get the right guy. I'm not going to kill him right now if this doesn't happen here in the next week or two. Yeah. Would have liked a little more progress over the last few weeks. I'm not going to lie. Harris tried to say that you know it's a tough time of year to hire a GM. It is, but you've done it before. I, I don't really mind it. I, it's, you know, I think they made the decision coming in. He said if we find the exact right person, we'll hire them You know, in between the draft and free agency. I think in his head, and he kind of he kind of hinted at this. It you know they, they were going to go through this with Brett leading the front office that they had in place, and you know again they struck out on the top free agents. I'm not sure that's totally an indictment on the front office. That seems like the preference of a couple of star players that really might not have changed if Brian Colangelo was here. The interesting thing though is that. It was a continuation of what we had heard from Brett the last few weeks, and that's that 
they want a very specific GM candidate, one who uh, I'm not sure exists. So, so on the one hand, they want a guy or gal, whoever, who works the same way they worked on draft night. They want somebody who delegates responsibility and is egoless and is not a big personality. But they also wouldn't mind somebody who's experienced right. and who has worked, you know, you know, who has has actual, you know, years doing this job. The problem is, I'm not sure the second person exists who's willing to just work with the front office you have in place. And and by the way, that's not an indictment of the front office that they have in place. I have no idea how good those people are. I think they did a nice job during the draft. So in a small sample size, they've shown, in my opinion, that it can work. It just doesn't seem realistic for those two things to match up. Yeah, and like you, it's hard to, it's hard to judge you know, assistant GMs, VP, of blah, 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 blah. We don't, we don't really know <laughs> uh, whether that's even the guys here or the guys elsewhere. We certainly have a, a better idea of the guys here. We've had, you know, relationships with them. We can talk to them, uh, get a sense of, you know, how they operate. And you've got a lot of smart guys in this front office. But in order to really judge them across the league, you've got to have more experience with the guys across the league, too. And I think my biggest concern isn't whether or not they might promote from within it's whether they'll promote from within without a real search. And I think what I was concerned about coming into that you know, press conference, that surprise press conference, was that they had made this decision to promote from within without a real legitimate search. And I just think that is a missed opportunity. Uh, it's hard to know whether or not you have the best guy when you haven't talked to the other guys. And it seems like at least now that's not the case. And I, like you, that, that candidate that they described is very hard to find. And they were very you know, very, very deliberate in saying that they want somebody who will work within the confines and the culture and the system they've already set up. And that's going to be hard to do because most established guys, even not, you know, really people that aren't really established, want to hire their own people. You wonder how much of that is keeping, you know, the entire front office structure in place and how much of that culture and that operation is is, is in reference to Brett Brown specifically. Um, but it's a very real chance that uh, uh, an outside guy is going to want to come in here and hire his own staff and make up the front office. And at least the way I read it is there's a very strong chance that there's an internal guy that they're looking to promote and keep basically status quo. Let, let me ask you something too. When you know, and there are a few candidates there. There's Ned Cohen. Uh, Mark Eversley, Alex Rucker, those are, those are the three main people who could get uh, could get theoretically promoted. Let me ask your opinion. What what do you think if one of those people are promoted? How does Brett Brown still have a huge voice in this front office? It's a great question. We would be mostly speculating, and I don't want to do that too much because yeah. I think I could sit here and say I'm speculating, and someone's still going to read it the wrong way. Don't get windy. <laughs> and that it, it's a little bit annoying, but I think it comes with the comes with the territory. So I don't want to speculate too much. It would sometimes guys get a taste of you know having their voice heard a little more than they're used to and they get used to it. I don't think it's an impossibility that a promote from within means Brett Brown gets a little bit more say in player personnel decision. Now what the, does that mean final say? Does that mean a bigger voice? I don't know. It, when it first starts out, we probably won't know. Uh, it'll probably be a little ambiguous almost regardless, even if they hire a new person. And Brett's part of that hiring process. Like, Pop can hire his own GM. But Pop still has final say. So I think it's something that's probably going to need to be fleshed out over time. I like Brett Brown. You like Brett Brown. We've Anyone who's listened to this podcast at any point over the last five years knows that we like Brett Brown. I think he's a good coach. I think he knows the game of basketball. Just from a pure philosophical standpoint, I do not like coach-GM roles. I do not like coaches who have too big of a say in player personnel decisions. I think you have to look at the game differently. And there's kind of like a checks and balance between GMs and coaches where the coach has to have his eyes set and his priority on one thing, and the GM has to kind of take a step back and say, okay, but what's good for the team long term? 
And a lot of times that doesn't happen anyway because the GM may not have the job security to step back and say, okay, this might help us for 2018-19, but does it help <laughs> us? <laughs> right, exactly, in, in, in Phoenix. But does this help us long-term? That's how you end up trading unprotected picks, move up a couple spots in the draft, and, and select a role player. And I think when you add the coach in making that decision, it just compounds that problem. And even 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 great personnel guys, even the great coaches, it's just it's hard not only from a different mentality standpoint, but also just from a, a sheer bandwidth perspective. Like it's you spend a lot of goddamn hours being a coach of an NBA team. Those are two jobs. How, how much time can you really have? You know, watching uh, you know, watching college basketball. You're watching Euro League. It's it's tough. I do hope that Brett understands that he needs help, and I hope that he understands that you need somebody in there with real power, real experience, and not just somebody who's going to rubber stamp decisions. Like I said, I like Brett. I don't like the idea of a coach GM. So I hope they I hope they go in the right direction. I'm with you. I'm not saying it can't work because I think it can. It, I think I think it's been pointed out too. The Sixers, more than most teams, are more of a finished product. They they have a huge potential trade. They have to, let's say, roughly land one more big piece. That's I think that's fair to say. But I, I think the way that this has been described to us by some people is, well, if it's you don't want the coach to be the GM if it's an average team, because then they make the win now moves. Then you get stuck in purgatory. Uh. If the team's already good, it's it's a little easier, and may, maybe that's the case. But like you, it's I, I just don't think I'm it's not, the right. Yeah. I'm not 100 percent buying that either. You need someone who, even when you're, you know, rolling along like the Spurs, will make the which is a funny example because I'm bringing them up. But who's going to be willing to trade George Hill for Kawhi Leonard? Leonard? You need you in order to extend that window. You need somebody thinking about both the short and the long term. And maybe Brett can do that. Maybe maybe Brett can be the exception to the rule, kind of like Pop. I just it, I I would be nervous. I would be hesitant. I would probably say it's the wrong move. Yeah, it's just listening to those guys describe the candidate. I, I just I will say I think there's a little bit of I, I was a little bit reassured just for the fact that they haven't made the decision yet. Like if they already knew that they wanted to you know give Brett more power, maybe promote from within, whether or not that's somebody ceremonially above Brett or or, or whatnot. I think if they were going if if they if I think if they already knew they were going to do that, they would have already done that. And they could have, you know, said, "Oh, we came up with a list of 125 candidates and we determined this was the best route." Kind of like they did last time. It might not be true. It might not mean that they interviewed 125 candidates, but they could explain away what they've done over the last month to arrive at this decision. The fact that they didn't do that Again, maybe it ends up being the case anyway, but I'm not sure they're 100% at that conclusion yet. Yeah. How about that science project comment? Oh, God. <laughs> All right. So the context, what did Keith even ask? What was yeah, – I think the exact question was, do you want a GM? With experience. experience, yeah. So Josh Harris said, you know, we already tried that science experiment once. And he's like, ah, and it, it led to some good things after kind of chuckling and laughing and dismissing it, which for him – he also said in the course of the interview that this was one of the most desirable jobs in sports. Holy disconnect, buddy, because why do you think it is you have one of the most desirable openings in sports? That's because science that project. science project yielded a whole lot of success. Look at the ways that the avenues they've had to get superstars. And Bede and Simmons, already on your team, got them through the draft from that three-year science ex- experiment. And I'm going to say three-year. I'm going to point that out because people like Michael Wilbon will say it's eight years. It's not. It was a three-year science experiment. You got him Bede and Simmons out of the draft from those classes, from those years that you tanked. You got Markel Fultz from trades from the assets you were left. Now you've got still enough assets. Again, trading stuff that largely was acquired by that science experiment. Dario Sarge, uh, Robert Covington, maybe Markel Fultz ends up being in it. Draft picks, but stuff from that science experiment. So you've got already trades in Markel Fultz, draft in Ben Simmons, Joel Embiid, possibly trade for Kawhi Leonard, possibly um, free agency that you just tried out on, all because of that science experiment that got you to the point where this is the most attractive job in the league. Let's be real here, Josh Harris. Uh, you can dismiss it however you want. Maybe you couldn't you know, stand up to the fire that, that came from the league because of, of what you were doing. But the science experiment, 
it uh, it worked, and you're reaping the benefits of it. It was it was a little surprising. This is a hey hey you greenlit the science experiment, he, man. He, he did. He this was not something that Hinky and his crew did without approval. Um, and no, Josh, that no, that was the next thing. <laughs> and Josh, he's been kind of. I actually think he's sounded better, you know, like from Colangelo to here. Like I, I think he's he's handled it about as well as he could have. But there's that was just, a misstep. Yeah. There's just the one little misstep. There's always something, you know. Yep. And it's, yep. It was. It was. It was a little. Anyway, I think if you, if you're one of those people who thinks Sam Hinkie's coming back, I think I think that probably should have given you a bit of a wake up call because I don't think Josh Harris views that era fondly. I don't think there are other members of the management team, the CEO, who view that era fondly, and. Um, yeah, it's just it, it, it's not going to happen, and I think they're moving on. I don't, I don't. The commission would have a heart attack too. <laughs> which, which, by the way, would would be. I'd love to see how the league reacted to it. Oh, um, if they rehired him, which they're not going to, as you said, Adam Silver should just have a pay per view for his reaction. <laughs> Sixers fans would buy that for seventy dollars. Yes, they would. Yes, they would. And by the way, he is Adam Silver, not Dave Silver, not this podcast, not my bit. Go, uh, go find a new slant. All right. What else? I guess the Kawhi Leonard situation was yeah. maybe the next. Uh, it was funny. They Somebody asked about, we're talking about Paul George in Oklahoma City. And Brett was talking about what a great job Oklahoma City did in terms of their culture, in terms of appealing to George, of, of making it a place where he felt um, he felt happy and comfortable. He started talking about uh, you know Maslow's needs, um, pyramid of needs. I think that's what it is. That might be a future story. He's He loves that. Thing. He does love that thing. And the logical follow-up was, well, look, Oklahoma City took that chance on a guy who had one year left on a contract, appealed to him, made him made it feel like home for him. Could you do the same in a, in a similar situation? And he stopped, and he looked over at the PR staff, and he goes, guys, what am I allowed to say here? He's, He's like, I'd, I'd, I'd love to tell you everything I think, but what am I allowed to say here? And the PR staff was like, can't mention names. He's like, all right, so look, I fully buy into what we're doing. I buy into the culture that we're setting. I buy into our ability to what I think it was maintain, retain, and obtain players and keep them here long term. And if you read between the lines, which you don't have to do a whole lot of here, those are big lines. Those, <laughs> yeah, you can you can figure this one out. Those are like that's like a first grade notebook. The, right. the lines. I think Brett is saying, behind closed doors, look, get him to Philly. I know what makes this guy tick. Get him to Philly. We'll keep him here long term, or at least we have a chance. Of keeping him here long term, I'm sure Brett is confident in or confident in his, like you said, culture, in his system, in his ability to appeal and make guys happy. He kind of just did a similar thing with JJ Redick, not as not as risky because all you gave up was cap space. But they brought Redick in. He liked it so much. He he basically waited until all the teams spent their money just to see if the team would get LeBron and then resigned anyway. I think I think Brett is very confident that if they get Kawhi, they can make it work long term. Yeah, they were uh they spun a lot of things positively during that uh about 40 minute session. The the thing that really got the headlines was that they thought they were close to LeBron James. We didn't really Which, care. By the way, they weren't. They were. We didn't really care about that. Um but yeah, the, the one of the things they they spun positively was that they were really happy that they were able to get Redick back so quickly right after. And that's true. Like he he put himself on the line. It seems like he basically told all the other teams, yeah, I'm waiting until LeBron makes a decision. And, I mean, if it would have dragged on a little longer, it would have been interesting to see what would have happened. But he clearly wanted to come back to Philly, and they should be excited about that. And, you know, I, I think a lot of what has been cited over the past week with Paul George is that Oklahoma City's culture and their organization and the city was able to win him back. And, you know, whatever the whatever the reason, the Sixers have, in my opinion, a better situation than what Paul George has. Oklahoma City, I don't know if you've ever been there, not the greatest nightlife in the world. No, and they, they kept Paul George. It was the same exact thing from Los Angeles. He could have played with LeBron freaking James if he waited, what, 12 more hours for him to make the decision? And it's clear that he didn't even think about it. So... Yeah, I, I think, you know, there's been reports over the past couple of weeks 
some out of San Antonio. I think it was Jabari Young, Chris Haynes of ESPN that, that said that Kawhi would at least consider staying in Philly, and that's the place that he'd want to. You know, if it, if it wasn't LA, that seems to be the second place that he'd want to go. Uh, it's it all comes down to what San Antonio wants and what the Sixers are willing to give up, though. Well, if if it's not either of the two LA teams, so maybe the third place you would want to go, which. I'm not buying the Clippers, man. He, he must really love home because, uh, <laughs> I, I mean, nobody in L.A., even when they're winning, really cares about the Clippers. Watch, I don't know. Watch next year when he spurns the Sixers and, and Balmer smiling and, and kind of shaking with, with his jersey waiting for him there. <laughs> the darkest timeline. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, it, it is it, it is to me really telling how I don't think this thing is done. All the reports are saying that right now Markel Fultz is off the table. I say right now not because any report is suggesting otherwise, but I've seen a lot of players who are off the table magically become available. Uh, I don't really want... I get Right now my line is Markel. I'm not trading him for a guy who has a decent chance of walking, but I do wonder whether or not, you know, if they get to the point where they can maybe talk to Kawhi's representatives and they can give them a strong indication, look, Kawhi will stay. Like, if things go well, Kawhi will stay. All of a sudden, does that change? Uncle Dennis. Yeah. Give us the 411. Uncle Dennis, who's what, in, in, in Jersey, I think? Where yeah. is he from? Yeah. Um, but if there's maybe an – if the indications change, if the tea leaves change, does that change who is available and who the Sixers are willing to give up? I like Markel, who's, by the way, out here in Vegas right now. As Drew Hanlon is giving uh, giving talks – not shooting. We didn't, to be clear, we didn't see him shoot or really do anything with the basketball. He was just at practice today. Looks a little better physically, I'd say. He looks like he's in a little better shape. I, I, Brett would phrase it as his skin folds a little better. <laughs> Losing the baby fat a little, a little bit. bit. I think, but, and by the way, just real quick, we, we kind of were talking about this. Uh, Markel's jumper, obviously, is what is going to determine his career. I do think him getting in better shape could really help on some of those drives, too. Just a just a smaller, smaller detail. Uh, yeah, and he looks better. He looks, uh, he looks stronger. He's clearly been, uh, been working on his body in the off season. I think, uh, as Sixers Twitter went nuts over that Hanlon video, uh, which <laughs> involved very cleverly edited Hanlon. Video. Oh man, God, who uh, give that guy an Oscar? That was, <laughs> that was unbelievable. And you had, you had that as well as uh, Joel playing one on one with. Jason Tatum and Mo Bamba. Uh, that was some quality entertainment. I looked at it last night. I think it was like, I think it came out around two or three West Coast time. Uh, at about ten West Coast, it had already I think three hundred thousand views on YouTube. So all right, let's let's wrap up Kawhi. Uh, by the time the season starts, where are you at percentage wise on whether or not Kawhi will be a seventy sixer? Um. Forty-six. Let's go a little, little under fifty. It's a good number. I was probably thinking right around thirty-five to forty. I think I've pretty much maintained that. I think the Sixers are going to put make a real hard push. I think a lot of it's going to determine whether or not maybe a surprise team comes out of nowhere. Um, I think I think even like the Clippers have been rumored to him, which it's I'm not a, sure what they're going to give up. It, that's the problem with those surprise teams. It's like. You don't think the Sixers package without Fultz is that good? Right. But, God, when you get past Boston and L.A., there's nobody who can realistically trade for him who has, like, great stuff. And and there's just not that many. Like, it makes sense for the Sixers to take a gamble because of his familiarity with Brett Brown, because of the fact they could be a legitimate, maybe not title contender, but certainly a, a, an Eastern Conference contender. A team like that that's more starting their rebuild, it just it doesn't make any sense to me. But, yeah, I agree. Um, I think, I think, th- I think there's a good chance. I think there's a, a a good chance. I do think the Sixers have interest, and I think it was something that we will hear about all summer. I don't think I expect anything to happen here in the next couple of weeks, but I do expect that we will hear hear more. All right, moving on to that Markel Fultz. Like we said, he looks a little better physically. The jumper is still going to determine what he can do. The there's kind of been some mixed reports. It looking good. We've heard from team officials it's looking good. Some people are, are reporting it maybe isn't making all that much progress. I think a lot of this might come down to how you read progress. Like, I think there might be, you know, I think that some people might see him doing, like, form shooting from, like, 5 or 10 feet. 
and think, wow, he's got far to go. And that, that's probably true. Whereas other people might look at form shooting and be like, look, they're really building it from the ground up. This is good. So I think there could be some room for interpretation. I Just my gut and just my read, which isn't, again, based on hearing anything negative. I think if it was really far along, like to the point where he was making a lot of, you know, jumpers off the dribble and jumpers from distance, I think we'd probably see that in a video. Like, I do think at some point, Drew Hanlon's a salesman. Marco Fultz wants people to start, you know, discussing him in a, a good context. I get that Hanlon maybe wants to add a little suspense, but I think if it was at the point where he was able to show it off, you know, I think we're going to eventually get that. And I think maybe form shooting or whatever they're going through might be a little hard to put in a video form. But it's also tough, right? Because uh, uh, Hanlon's such a showman that he might enjoy this kind of tease with the video where, you know, they show him shoot and he uh, somebody steps in front of the camera. Or, you know, they're focusing in on Hanlon watching him shoot. I think he might be a showman too. I don't know. We'll see. Look, it's, it's all spec. It's, it's... Here's, here, here's the bottom line. You're five weeks into a shot rebuild. It's probably not expected to look like a final product at this time anyway. So if we get into late August, early September, and we haven't seen a jumper on video, then I'll be nervous. But here in mid-July, not yet. Yeah, when it comes to rebuilding the shot, it's like rebuilding a basketball team. Progress isn't always linear. You have and to, it can look like dog shit in the middle, too. Yeah, uh, and I mean, he developed... I don't need to tell anybody this. He developed some awful habits. There was like a double hitch in his shot. It was terrible. Uh, so it does seem like they are stripping it down to basics. And that seems like a lot of form shooting from a couple of feet away. And honestly, as somebody who messed up his shot in high school, that's how you get it back. And it's not fun. Uh, it's not pretty. But that you have to develop a base and... Again, at 20 years old, he's still young. He's still got a long time in his NBA career. But to redevelop the muscle memory at that age, it's not easy. Uh, so, yeah, I, I do think, like, you know, while some people might say it's not looking so good, the Sixers are seeing, okay, he's developing a base on this thing, something we can continue to build on for uh, for years. And if he's, you know, to me, I, I think the reason to be optimistic is it seems like he's working with the right people. Seems like he's working on the right things. So even if it doesn't come right away, he's developing the right habits. And, you know, he's got years to figure this thing out. But it, it seems like this is a good first step, at least. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, look, the the praise for Hanlon is almost universal. I haven't really talked to anyone who doesn't think that Markel is in good hands. And, you know, like we said, progress could kind of be open to interpretation right now. I'm not telling you it's good. I'm not telling you it's bad. I'm just saying it's going to take more than five weeks, and uh, you know, hopefully we'll see something. If not soon, I mean by by camp, uh, certainly. One thing we were reminded of, though, watching that video, is holy shit, this guy's handles are a elite, unbelievable, and the way he explodes out of cuts, like, you just—he's like an alien, man. It, it reminds me of every reason I was excited about him coming out of Washington. And it's it's that jumper kind of had such a cloud over his rookie season that it was maybe easy to forget. And that's why when we talk about Kawhi, and it's like, well, look, if Kawhi can bolt, I just I can't give up on Markel yet. And it's because he has that level of talent. Now, my biggest concern isn't whether or not Hanlon can get his jumper back. It's how do you prevent what happened before from happening again? And how do you how, how do you get to the point where this Basically, you have to diagnose everything, not just a sore, a sore shoulder, not just a scapular muscle imbalance, not just, you know, changing the shot, not just any of that, but everything that went into it, how do you make sure it doesn't happen again? And that's my biggest concern. I think he's going to get there. I think Markel, I think Markel's going to work. I, I mean, we, we know he's going to work. He's out there in three LA times a day, three, you know, three, uh, three sessions a day. By the he, way, shame on the people who are harping too much on him not playing Summer League. Yeah, Summer League's fucking... Watch this fucking slop and tell me that he's going to get anything from four games of this. Yeah. It's it's ridiculous. Um, He's doing the right thing. He's out there with the right people working on what he should be working on. And he's putting in the time to get there. 
I think he's going to work. I, I think he worked last summer too. Uh, I think he's working with the right people. You just hope that there's no setbacks along the way. And I think the untold story to me isn't what happened last August because I'm I'm confident he was working with his trainer to, to change shots and it, for whatever reason it didn't stick. Uh, we, that, that could be injury. That could be other reasons. That could be confidence. Who knows? But I'm confident that maybe there were some changes that didn't need to be made in the shot. The biggest question to me has always been what happened in the December area when it looked like he was making progress and had a huge setback and never really got it back. That, to me, is the untold story of this. And just, he's probably going to make progress. He's probably going to get to the point where you get encouraged. How do you keep that progress and sustain it? It's a, it's, it's a huge question. I'm sure it's something the Sixers are thinking about. And uh, I hope he figures out. He's insanely talented. He is the type where if you give him up, and Kawhi leaves in a year, you could regret that for a long time. I'm not ready to give up on him at all um, because it, it, it is, it, I mean, he really is what the Sixers need and in a really unique skill, a skill package, as Brett would say. But uh, that jumper's everything, man. It's everything. It's everything. It seems like he's got the confidence of the other star players on the team as well. Uh, yeah, man. His, I, I know those are highlight videos, but. God, his handles are There still aren't many people in the league who can do those highlights in an empty gym. No, man. And, you know, and, and Hanlon, in terms of offensive moves and, you know, working on your crossovers and, and hang dribbles and stuff, it, it seems like they're they're hammering those home without uh, without trying to tweak the shot as well at the same time. So that, that seems good. That, that'll help. Obviously, he's got Embiid doing step-back jumpers in, uh, in Tatum's face. That was... That was fun to watch, but uh, yeah, I guess uh, there's still still a lot that to be seen one, there. That one part of the video where Embiid's like, "I won," he's like, and Tatum's like, "I knocked you out of the playoffs, bro." Like that's it's true, perfect, yeah. perfect. Um, I almost don't like Joel hamming it up with a Celtic, but those two for 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 a Celtic, Tatum's pretty easy to uh, pretty easy to come around to, which which is funny because I I didn't like his game in college, but he's he's made a hell of a lot of progress. Um. See anything? Anything really else to take away from? No, I don't. I don't care about the LeBron stuff. No, they weren't. They, they I, weren't getting him. I, I appreciated how open they were about talking about the meeting, but yeah, the the spin they gave that it was a valuable a valuable thing, and it it helped the brand. I think Harris said at one point, you know, it, that's fine. He could say that. I, I don't really care though. Yeah, uh, no, I don't. <laughs> I don't really care either. Um, also interesting how open they were about Paul George. And the fact that they felt like they knew for a while that they weren't really going to have a sit-down with them. I did kind of appreciate, you know, one of the things we asked was about opportunity cost of pursuing LeBron. And I think a lot of fans are kind of angry at that. Because maybe you should have, you know, been able to figure out that you didn't have a real chance at LeBron. Maybe you should have been able to figure out that this was a waste of time and redirect your energy to Trevor Ariza to, you know, they... When I brought up the question, Brown initially talked about uh, Bellinelli and Ilyasova. I don't want those guys back on those contracts anyway. So it does, it, you could have pursued LeBron and still lost both of those because I wasn't matching those deals. He, well, It's funny that he brought those guys up too when, when Wilson Chandler was brought up. But he right. basically was like, look, look what we did for them last year. We got them contracts on the first night of free agency in a really tight market. And he's like, Wilson, that's what we're going to do right. for you. So, so if you have uh, plans on... I, I'd say to Wilson Chandler, who uh, I think is a nice addition for the team, maybe rent instead of buy a house. <laughs> right. But you know, Brown basically said, you know, we're still we're, we're still going to star hunt, and we don't regret the decision to pursue LeBron. That losing out on guys like Trevor Ariza is kind of the cost of doing business to that strategy. And I, I to be honest, I kind of agree. I, I, I think this is a, a completely unique situation. The Sixers are in where they can win 52, 55 games, contend for an Eastern conference final and still have max cap space next summer, deeper free agency class. Um, you can kind of separate yourself as an option. You know, LA was able to separate itself as an option with both really Paul George. Cause I think we all agree that if Paul left, it would have been to LA and with LeBron because of location, well, the Sixers can separate themselves from a lot of people because of quality of team and contention and, and culture, which, which Brett Brown would, would point to. So I think it's right to be chasing 
in free agency. Even if with yeah. LeBron you only had, let's say, a 5% chance, you don't turn down that 5% chance for Trevor Ariza. And I like Trevor. I love Trevor Ariza. He would have been a real good addition. You can you can replace that. Yeah. You can't replace the greatest player of this generation. So I don't I don't have a problem with going. I I've, look I've spent the last Christ I don't know six seven eight years talking about how the NBA system is completely jacked up and it rewards good teams in free agency more than it should. Well, I'm not going to deviate off of that when the Sixers are finally in position to use that to their advantage. I think they should pursue this at all costs. I think they should continue to make moves. Which, which give them opportunities and trades, and I think they generally did that this year. And maybe that strategy comes at the cost of a little bit of contention in 2018-19. But I'm, I'm looking at three, four, five, six-year window. I'm okay with what they did. I am. Yeah. When, when Harris said, when you have a chance at a generational player, no matter how much, you go for it, and it didn't seem like they had a huge chance of LeBron, I, I respect that. That's fine. Yeah. Yep. Um... All right. Any, any any more summer league thoughts? I like Zaire Smith. He's 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 been fun. You know, he, he he didn't make too many shots the other night. Thought his best game was against the Lakers the first night we were here. When again, the whole rest of the team, outside of maybe a couple uh, Cam Oliver dunks, was just awful. Uh, but he uh, he's going to be fun. What would you say? Just like let's say the team. Let's say no Kawhi and. I know I, uh, a lot of listeners are like, no, no, Kawhi. Um, Just a hypothetical. No Kawhi, because I I would wonder if Zaire would be in the trade if, if Kawhi came here. Uh, how many minutes a game does Zaire Smith play? 17. Wow, okay. Yeah. Wow high or wow low? I thought wow high. Uh, no, I, th- I think his defense will get him on the court. I think his transi- transition play and cutting will get him on the court. If he can make shots at a decent level, he might get more than that. But I'm not sure. I think I think that shot's still going to be a bit inconsistent. We see it in practice, and it looks okay. Like he, there is a, a bit of a hitch, not really a hitch, but there's almost like a, a pause or a slowdown in the motion. It's mechanical. Yeah. yeah. And what I would say is that he has a lot of leg in his shot, which isn't necessarily bad. Like you know, a guy that you rely on to score, that's going to allow him to rise up and shoot over people. You don't want Zaire Smith shooting over people. And I worry a little bit that maybe as he fatigues, maybe just his ability to, to repeat his motion might, you know, decrease a little bit. He might get a little streaky once he gets tired because he does have so much leg in his shot because he does elevate so so much. Um, and because I do think it's a, a pretty slow shot, yeah. uh, both because of that hitch and because of the elevation that it, it, it just it seems like he might be a little, you know, a little gun shy on pulling the trigger when when contested early in his season, both because of, of the shot and because of his history, which is, is not as a, as, as a high option. So I think he'll, I think he'll get consistent time. I don't think it's going to be like, you know, a, a ton though. Yeah. He, he passed up a couple of shots in, in recent games, which annoyed me a little bit. Uh, his, his ball handling, that's going to be his next step in terms of creating his own shot. Uh, his athleticism is fantastic, Unreal. man. Unreal. And Kevin Young drew up the one play against the Lakers where it was it was a baseline out of bounds play where he, he basically looped around a screen and got an easy alley oop dunk despite the fact it was not a good pass at all. Uh, yeah, and I, I think he'll fit in. You know, the Sixers like to stick their wings in the corners at the start of possessions. He seems like a really good back cutter already, and. On his back cuts, that athleticism allows him to, in tight spaces, rise up and dunk on people. Uh, the chase down block he had the other day was awesome. Uh, and I hope, you know, we'll see it tomorrow. We, you know, we, we kind of talked to him today uh, about this at shoot around. Shoot a little more Zaire because this is where you should do it. Because, again, when, when the season comes around, they're going to be concerned about wins and losses you're going to be a cog in the machine, not the main cog. Uh, yeah. So I, but I like what I've seen. Seems like, you know, kind of a soft-spoken kid, but seems like you know that they like him. Uh, and I, I've been intrigued from what he's shown in summer league. On the other end, holy shit, has Jonah Bolden been bad? Ba- really bad. Like yeah. to the fact, I'm always wondering because there's two signings that they haven't officially announced yet, uh, which is. The belly signing, I'm going to keep it at belly. And Amir. And Amir. 
And those are two signings with exceptions. Now, without those signings, I have them at about a million cap space left. And I've kind of been wondering whether or not they're keeping that cap space to give to Jonah so that they don't have to put him on a, a minimum contract, use a minimum exception for him. Which only runs two years, right? Correct. That's a max of two years. And if they were waiting to see how he looked in Summer League, that's not the greatest showing in the world. I do wonder how ready he is. And I think a lot of people saw highlights. And look, he can he can be a havoc on defense when he's dialed in, when he's making the right reads. He's athletic. He can get out in transition. He can shoot a little bit. He can pass a little bit. I'm not sure right now what he does consistently, though. And he's really struggled. He's really struggled. Yeah, I thought he had a nice year at Maccabi. Uh, and it's only three games. Like, like, uh, like we were told, he did not show up until the team got to Vegas. But, yeah, you, you would like to see more because last year he was pretty good in Summer League. He was very you know active on the defensive end, steals, blocks, showcased a little bit of a shot. That is certainly not consistent at this point. No. Uh, yeah, and you'd like to see more. And, you know, I'll uh, I'll call out the the uh, the 40-point man, too, as well. He, yeah, We weren't here. We, we came out the next day. Uh, so so you can blame Furkan's struggles on us, but you know you would like to see a little more consistency. I I don't need a forty point game every night, but God, he laid two eggs the last yeah. two days. No, re- real bad. I think the only thing that I've taken away positive outside of that forty point explosion, yeah, I think he's generally made good reads with the ball. He's made some good passes, uh, and I think that is good. He needs to make his shots, Rich. He's not. He doesn't. He has a little bit of ball handling. He can play a little bit off the pick and roll. He's not going to turn the corner and get to the rim. He doesn't. He get the rim. he he's got some decent vision, but he's also not going to break his man down in ISO and get to the you know get get in the paint. He needs that shot falling so he can then open up a little bit of a driving lane. And right now it's just not happening. Um, I think he's going to shoot. Question is whether or not he's going to defend enough. Whether or not he's going to really be involved enough in the offense outside of that. And We'll see. Like I, I like the idea of Korkmaz. I'm not sure whether or not, he just he, he he physically he's just not there yet, and I don't know how he's going to defend with that body type. I don't know how he's going to you know he when he's driving down the lane he's, he he gets bumped off the spot real easy. Um, I'm just not sure he's has a diverse enough game to overcome some of these struggles and still stay in the rotation. We'll see. He's been he's been real bad though these last two games for sure. Yeah. And by the way, the rest of the roster. Don't care. Just don't care. It's uh, in, in years past, there'd be guys here fighting for starting spots. Not starting spots on the summer Sixers. Starting spots on the Sixers. Now there's no one here that's going outside of those three that's going to challenge for a roster spot. Uh, so maybe maybe you find a two-way player. Maybe kind of best case scenario. Maybe a couple guys end up on the the what is it? Blue coats. Delaware blue coats. What's is that their new name? Indeed. Almost called in the sevens. But in terms of making a difference in the Sixers season, it's not going to happen, so I haven't been focused yeah. too much on that. Yeah, and Landry Shamit got hurt as soon as yeah. he got here, basically. Right, which, so. which is why I didn't mention him. He will obviously make the team. Final summer league take. How about that on that announcer, man? Whew. Oh, my God. You guys, <laughs> so so you haven't been, you know, if, if you're watching the games, you don't get to hear what a treat this is. The PA announcer... I think he's made, in the, let's say, the nine, ten hours I've been in the Thomas and Mack Center for games, he has made conservatively 300 mistakes. <laughs> Just to give you a glimpse, today we were introduced to Josh Akogi of the Minnesota Twins. <laughs> he called him Jonathan Bolden the other day. At one point he announced... Henry Sims to the line. It's his first personal foul, which that doesn't make sense because you don't go to the line when you get a personal foul. He's, he's very good at if there's a number 20 on one team and a number 20 on the other <laughs> yeah. team, mixing those two up. The other day, the teams went to the half, literally walking off the court. End of the third. After three quarters of play, your score is, and it's just like, oh, my God, what is going on here? It, it has it's, been Impressive. I, I, think, I think what's amazing about it too is how casual it is. To we haven't heard one correction. No correction. He just goes on with his day, and it's funny. The guy who was sitting in front of us today was like, "Man, he does 
the actual UNLV men's basketball games too, and and the football games. He's like he's a he's a treat. Uh, Look, play by play guys, PA announcers. I would never want that job. It's exceptionally difficult to do. I would never be able to do it. I can't even talk on a podcast without saying something I don't mean. That being said, you are UNLV, a pretty major basketball, not as major as you used to be, but you're still, you know, you you have some pull. He's got to do his job. It was it was entertaining, but only because I don't give one shit about most of the games being played. Yeah, wasn't great. Uh, and that's uh, that's Vegas for you. That is Vegas. All right, we have one more game that we'll be at coming up here. The first game of the tournament against the Phoenix Suns. It's a good summer league team. It's a good summer league team with a lot of NBA talent and also a Villanova product who was just absolutely gone through hell since being drafted. I'm kidding. Yeah. Um, but reading some of my mentions, you would think that Michael Bridges went through just about the most traumatic experience known to man. Let let's hope the Sixers can at least, at least make it competitive. Please, Zaire Furkan, show up against those guys because Phoenix by twenty. Oh yeah. Oh Aiton. I think like Aiton's gotten a little bit of flack for his play in summer league so far. Tomorrow's the breakout day. Yeah. He. Uh, uh, Chris McCullough isn't isn't standing a chance. He's gonna but, have a big day. But yeah, to watch Furkan and Zaire against Josh Jackson and Mikhail. Please, it could be fun. I don't know. I, I, I just think fun. I just think Phoenix again. They're they're a young team with a lot of guys who are going to play a ton of minutes for the regular Suns right, this year. Right, and that's the difference. That's okay. Yep. Sounds good. Hopefully, we get a decent one to watch. I don't have my hopes set too high, but thank you, Rich, for jumping on, and we will talk to you soon. You've been listening to the Stitchers Beat right here on LibertyBallers.com and LibertyBroadcast.co.